0: If you would, grab your copy of Scripture and uh, open it with me to the book of Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. I'll be there with you in just a moment. Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20 will begin in verse 9. It says, He, Jesus, went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it out to vine growers, and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully, and they sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son, perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. Verse 15, and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This is God's Word. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We rejoice in your goodness towards us, and we pray now the preaching of your Word, that your people would be fed, and that you would be glorified. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is good to be with you this morning, and uh, I just want to begin this way um, there are times in life I think we would all agree there are times in life when the best and wisest course of action is to do the opposite to do the opposite of what you're told let me show you an example of what I'm talking about this is a uh, comedian named Nate Bargazzi and he's talking about a trip to Honduras and how he learned to do the opposite of of what he was told. A Honduras man gives him some advice. Let's see how Nate reacts to this.
1: And so when he was like, all right, there's a couple things you got to look out for. Uh, there's a lot of snakes, a lot of venomous snakes. So he's like, when you walk around, just keep an eye out for snakes. Uh, but if you do get bit by a snake, the best thing to do is just go ahead and just catch the snake and then bring it with you. So then we know like what snake bit you. <laughs> And I was like I'm pretty positive like that's not what you're supposed to do uh, I've never seen that on Animal planners or something. like just catch a snake I've never caught a snake in my life and then when I get bit I got to get it together and catch a snake for the first time I was like it's not going to go good dude he's going to keep biting me that's all that's going to happen And he was like, it doesn't matter, you've already been bit. And I was like, do you even know what a snake is? It completely matters. There's a huge difference between one bite and probably 30 bites, which is what we will be at if I try to catch this snake. Who told you this, the snake? Is that who told you to tell me this? Whose side are you on?
0: Oh, man. I love that. Who told you that, the snake? Uh, that's my wife and I's favorite line, um, and that gets repeated in our marriage, in our house. Um, if one of us suggests an idea that's like really bad, okay, fine. When I suggest <laughs> an idea that's really bad, I'll get the, who told you that, the snake? And it's just, it's great. It's great. The truth is, there are times in life when you need to do the opposite, of what you see or hear. Now I'm not talking about every single moment, right? It's not living in a constant state of rebellion, never accept authority, that's, that's foolishness. But we can gain wisdom by watching where others have failed and do the opposite. And anyone who's a younger sibling, if you've watched your brothers and sisters, like maybe face discipline, you're like, yeah, I learned how to do the opposite of what they did, right? I've titled the message today, Running a Vineyard the Right Way, as we can learn from this parable what not to do with our life. The Pharisees, Jesus depicts them as tenant farmers here, uh, they get everything wrong. And so today we can, we can receive the wisdom of how to do the opposite, how to receive uh, wisdom on how to live our lives. So we're going to see three things in the text this morning. Number one, we acknowledge the owner. Two, we appreciate the messengers. And three, we accept the Son. We do the opposite of everything that the Pharisees did. So let's get to our first piece here. Acknowledge the owner. The context for Luke 20 is that time is now running short. Jesus is approaching the cross quickly. It's, it's almost here. And as the cross draws near, Jesus has more and more of these really intense conflicts with the Pharisees. And when Jesus starts talking about a vineyard, the people would have immediately known that that, that he's talking about uh, the nation of Israel. There are multiple passages in the Old Testament that God uses this picture of a, a vine and a vineyard to represent the nation of Israel. And so now, Jesus is going to emphasize to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, how they're, how they're getting it wrong. This parable is to show them, man, there's a different way, there's a better way to do life, and so it's a call to repent and turn to, to God. So go back with me now, look at verse 9 and 10, see what Jesus says here at the beginning. He says, a man planted a vineyard, rented it out to vine growers, went on a journey for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. Pause right there. This is not a good start for the tenants, but let's focus on the owner for just a moment. What do we know about the owner so far? Well, we know he has acquired some land. He's already done the work of planting that land. He's going to be gone for some time, and he's willing to pay for good labor. This business model was common in those times. As the people of of Israel were listening to this, they would have recognized that this happens, this was common, that if you were wealthy enough to acquire some land, you could hire some tenants to work that land, and then you would receive some of the profits, and so would they. And so, everybody should win here. So, how should the tenants operate? We can say it this way. The tenants should make decisions based on the owner's directions and for the owner's profitability. It is his land, and if he gets paid, everyone else does too. That's how the business model should work. But that's not what they do. They seek to take over the field and keep all the profits for themselves. They don't want to acknowledge the owner at all except to despise him. I think this is an example of one of the great villains in film history. I'm talking about Scar from the original Lion King. You say, "Josh, but what about the Lion King with Beyonce?" I do not care. <clears throat> I do not care. Think about the story of the Lion King for just a moment. You have Mufasa as the owner of a beautiful, thriving kingdom. And that's right, Mufasa, and he has a beloved son. Simba, and this beloved son is going to one day inherit this kingdom and take over. And then you have Scar, this devious, deceitful uncle who violently takes over the kingdom for himself. And he tries his best to kill the beloved son. Does this sound familiar to Luke 20 yet? Thinking, wonder, like, did Disney get their whole plot right here from Jesus' parable? But here's the part that hurts. For to be honest, I think we have some scar in us. We're the ones that seek to control and run our lives for ourselves. Think about Genesis 3. How does the serpent tempt Eve? He says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and here it is you will be like God. The temptation is hey, you can be the owner. You can be the owner. You can be the one in charge. I always think what Adam should have said in that moment, Eve, who told you that, the snake? (laughs) This is where sin begins. This is where going astray begins. We could say it this way, the root of almost any sin starts with the lie, you can be the owner. You can have total control. Look around culture today. Man, do you see people trying to be the owner in so many ways? Man, people reject God's design for marriage, for family, for sexuality, for greed, for money. They seek to be the owner. We all do. Two quick quotes, I think, that will help us in our understanding here. You'll see them on the screen. First one, a pastor named Tim Keller says it this way. He says, on the one hand, we know we are tenants. On the other hand, we hate it. On the one hand, we know we owe the owner. On the other hand, we don't want to. We want to do it ourselves. We want to take credit for it. We don't want to admit, look at this, this is all a gift. There is a deep, deep conflict that arises out of that. We don't want to have the illusion of independence and self-sufficiency shattered by anybody. Anybody who tries to tell us about it, we hate them for it. Or very simply, J.C. Ryle says it this way, I think this is true. If we could pull down God from his throne, we would. We are scar. We've been rebellious against the true king. We've tried to seize power. So how can we do the opposite here? How can we acknowledge God in our lives? How can we actually acknowledge the owner? We would say it this way. We slay the scar uprising and we honor God. We live by his word and for his purposes. Paul, I think, sums it up best in Philippians 121. He says, for me to live as Christ... To die is gain. That's how you acknowledge the owner. When, man, every single day of your life, not just Sunday mornings, but every day of your life, you're saying, God, I want to honor you with how I live my life. That's how we do it. Some questions to consider here today. One way to acknowledge God is to be thankful for what I've been blessed with. How can I walk in gratitude today? Secondly, where are the scar uprisings in my life? Where am I seeking to live for me And my purposes, how can I repent and follow God? So the first thing, we acknowledge the owner. Secondly, we appreciate the messengers. Go with me to verse 10. It says, at the harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat him and treated him shamefully. And sent him away empty handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. Let's pause there for a moment. Um I've always loved going to the beach as a kid. I used to go to Port Aransas all the time, and we've gone to uh, Florida many summers of my life. And one of the things you noticed at the coast, and I think Texas probably has one similar, they have this like colored flag system to help you be aware of what's going on in the water, right? If you see a green flag, it's low hazard. It's calm conditions. The current is not that strong. You're okay, Yellow flag means there's some strong currents. You need to be cautious, right? And then a red flag is a high hazard. It means there's very strong currents underneath, and you need to be careful. Um, Many summers, as a kid, my brother and I would like watch those flags. And uh, when we would see like a storm coming in, like just a beautiful storm coming in, you're like, okay, they changed it to a yellow flag. It was green, now it's yellow, and like—or uh, and, and people would be getting out of the water, and my brother and I, that was like our cue to get in. We were like, man, we want to get in there and get in that water and swim and have the current and everything. But there's one flag we always paid attention to, and that was the purple one. Because the purple, it's dangerous marine life, and man, I will Michael Phelps my way out of that water so quick, you will not catch me. You better be a fast swimmer if we see a purple flag, because I'm going to be out of there, right. What are those? They're messengers. They're messengers. So, just a a way of saying, hey, look, here's what you need to know about the water right now. Here's what you should know. They're they're messengers. Do you pay attention to the little warning signs, the little messengers in your life? Here's an example. The check engine light comes on in your car. I believe there's two types of people in this room. First type, you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, it looks like an extra little Christmas light in my car. I can— I'll just keep on driving until something blows up, right? Or steam starts coming out. Others of you, you're like super responsible. Oh, check engine light, I better get in there now before. Right? And they're usually married to each other. Um, but the little messages you receive, how do you respond to those? I want you to keep that in mind as we, we look at this part of the text, but I also I want to turn your attention back for a moment to the owner. Think for a moment. I think we you could admit what you're thinking, right? I think we would all do. Why does the owner keep sending servants? If you ran a business and your employees were getting beaten, would you keep sending them? One pastor describes it like this. I love this. Look at what he says. He says, "I say it reverently, but as a businessman, the owner of the vineyard failed. He should have thrown out those lousy tenant farmers after the first evidence of their rebellion." Ah, but thank God that God is not a hard-nosed businessman. He is far more patient than we can imagine. He sends repeated messengers giving repeated warnings as a demonstration of His abundant patience and grace. God is the owner in this parable, and He's incredibly gracious and patient with these rebellious people. That's good news for you and me. And this depiction of God is consistent with all of Scripture. I'll give you just two verses. We could go for days here. But Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, look, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's what the owners really like. 2 Peter 3:9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, look, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I would tell you, one of the key insights you and I should take away from this text, we'll say it this way, God mercifully sending more messengers displays the wonderful depth of His patience with sinners. Listen and turn to Him today. God is merciful. God is gracious and sending me message after message after message. That's His mercy towards me. Man, will I listen? Will I turn to it? For the nation of Israel, God gave them many messengers, just like with us, but they were called the prophets. They were some of His most powerful messengers to His people. And guess what? His people did not listen. They destroyed the prophets. You could read Hebrews 11 later. We've heard the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. That's what Israel did over and over with the messengers that God sent to them. So, these brings to mind, I think, two questions we need to tackle here. First, what or who are the messengers for us? How does God communicate with us? I think first and foremost, we'd say His Word, right? As you read His Word, you're going to receive messages. As you receive His Word in a setting like this where I'm preaching it, Right, you're receiving messages as you recall his word. Maybe you've, uh, you're thinking about something and a verse comes into your mind. That's a messenger, right? What else does he use? He uses his world. Man, when you look at a sunset, what message are you receiving? Wow, what an amazing accident that we're all here and this happened. No, the beauty, the structure, the design, the majesty. There's a reason our hearts light up when we see something beautiful. It's not because we just accidentally got here. It's because we're in his made in his image. What does the world, what does his world communicate to you? And hard circumstances can be a messenger. Loss of a job, betrayal, some kind of painful circumstance. That can be a messenger. And finally, I would say even health issues. Man, you get that report, it's like, oh, we've been there. I know what that's like. Those can be messengers. So, the second question I would say is this, how do we know? How can I know if this thing in my life is a messenger? I'd say really the best the best way is much prayer and wise counsel. Not every single moment of every single day is a messenger from God. Like if your cashier gives you 50 cents more than you should get back and change, you're like, is that a message? Maybe not. Right? But on the things you're you're wondering about, what prayer And wise counsel, because God is communicating with us over and over. He's trying to get our attention. Some questions to consider here. How does God's stunning patience in this passage compare to how I've pictured him? How can Scripture clarify my thinking about him? Secondly, one reason God sends messengers is to call us back to him. Where are the areas of my life I can repent and seek him? We do the opposite. We acknowledge the owner. We appreciate the messengers. And finally, we accept the son. We accept the son. How does the parable end? Go back with me to verse 13. It says, the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. I think the question Jesus asks there should stop us in our tracks. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Let's complete the thought here. Now, what have we seen with this owner? Three things. The owner has generously given opportunities. He's mercifully sent messengers, and now he returns with wrath. As I was studying and preparing this message, I kept coming back to this uh, Johnny Cash song, if you're familiar with Johnny Cash, he has a song called When the Man Comes Around, and it's about the return of the Lord, and it's off his uh, album, American Four. If you want a content recommendation today, I'd point you here, because this is the song I kept coming back to as I was thinking about this, the ending of this parable. And uh, I'll give you some of the lyrics. This is what the song says. It says, there's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? I think Johnny Cash was onto to something there, that there is a day. We will stand accountable before the man, the God of this universe. You ever had a moment like that where you knew accountability and consequences were coming? I remember when I was in fourth grade, uh, I talked back to my mom, and that was not a good thing to do in our house. And uh, my dad came home late that night, I was already in bed. And he had to be gone early the next day, so he was gone when I woke up for school. But there was a little note by my breakfast bowl the next morning, and my dad basically outlined the punishment that I would receive when he got home from work that day. The man was coming around at my house. And that whole day, I was just nervous as all, because I knew. I knew accountability was coming. Discipline was coming. Consequences for my actions were coming, and there was nothing I could do about it. The man was coming around. Today, I would tell you, there is something we can do about it. True wisdom would be for us today. Learn the lessons. Apply the wisdom. Do the opposite. Receive the message that Jesus is giving to us. Well, I think we could summarize it this way. The wisdom to apply here is don't waste your life. The owner is coming back. So accept his son and maximize your impact for his kingdom. Some things I think we can clearly learn from this ending. I want to highlight five of them very quickly. Number one, Jesus knew he was the beloved son. He's telling them exactly what's going to happen to him. He knows. He knows who he is, that he is God's son. He knows this. Number two, Jesus knew he would be slain just like the son. He's telling us, look, I'm coming down as the beloved son, but I'm going to be slain as if I was the rebel. Number three, we can know that God will have a day of judgment, right? The owner does come back. That's how the story ends. He's gone for a while, but he does come back. The man comes around. One pastor says it this way. He says, this parable illustrates what Paul exclaims in Romans 11:22. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. God's kindness is seen in his sending far more servants of, to rebellious Israel than she deserved. His severity is seen when these wicked tenant farmers killed the son. Jesus is God's final messenger, the sum of his revelation to sinful man. If we reject him, there is no further remedy. Only judgment lies ahead. Number four thing we can know, God's kingdom won't be overthrown. Guess what? The owner stays the owner. No matter how much the tenants think they're in control, they're not. The owner stays the owner. Rebels don't win, God does. And number five. Get this, the gospel is how we go from rebellious tenant to an accepted son and loved daughter. One pastor says it this way. This is the point. He says it this way. Jesus Christ was willing to die for you. He was willing to be treated like an enemy for you. How can it be dangerous to give control of your life to somebody like that? It can't be. Wake up out of the sleep of denial with the thought of His love. He became the enemy for you. He was slain on the cross so that instead of enemies, we could be His friends. Listen to the messengers. Listen to the messengers. That's the love. That's the gospel. That's where our hope is, that someone loved us enough that even though we were rebellious against Him, man, the Son would die in my place, in your place. Or if you want, go back. How does Jesus end this? Verse 18, he says this really interesting thing. He says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Right? Two things here. It says Jesus is the stone and we have a choice to make. We can either be broken by that stone, and that's a good thing. Or that stone can fall on us and crush us, and that's a bad thing. Either be broken by the stone or be crushed by it. The broken ones will be saved, the crushed will perish. Let's take those apart real quick. Jesus is saying, man, to be broken on the stone means you're broken of your pride. That when you come to Christ, you accept you cannot save yourself, your life is not your own, your plans aren't best, you're not in control. And that's to be broken on the stone. And that's a good thing. Surrendering to Jesus, I'll be honest with you, it costs you some things in this life, but the rewards are eternal. The very best thing you can do is fall on Christ, be broken by Him, and let Him put you back together in a whole new way. That's the hope. That's the only place you'll find salvation. But the crushed, man, those who are crushed by Him, those are the ones who stay far off who stay in their pride, who refuse him. And Jesus makes it clear there's a day of judgment coming. The man comes around. You hear the phrase we hear in our culture, right? There's always tomorrow. Who told you that? The snake? You don't have any guarantees on tomorrow, neither do I. You don't know. You don't know the day of your last breath. We don't know when he's coming back. So don't push it. Turn to Christ today. Accept the Son today. Fall on Him and be broken by Him today. That's where salvation is found. Some questions to consider here. Jesus makes it clear. There are only two ways of living, being broken and surrender, or being crushed by refusing Him. Where do I stand? Secondly, if the owner is coming back and I'm a Christian, then what am I doing about it? Where do I have opportunities to share the gospel? We've seen three things today about how we can learn from this, do the opposite, and live our lives well, run our vineyard well, right? We acknowledge the owner, we appreciate the messengers, and we accept the son. Now we'll talk about some dumb decisions I made. When I was in college at Texas A&M, my parents lived in Denver, Colorado. And uh, my dad was a ski ambassador, part-time up there uh, at one of the resorts. And I learned to ski from a young age. And so, something my brother and I, we, we, were, we were very proficient um, skiers. I don't know if it's a plural. I don't know. Um, and so, we go up one time uh, when I was in college uh, at spring break, and we decided we're going to snowboard this year. And we're like, we're not even going to take lessons we're just going to snowboard. We're just going to do it because we, we know how to ski. How hard could snowboarding be, right? We, we're the owners, right? We, we think we know what we can do. And we go in to the rental shop to get our snowboard. And I remember as we picked out our snowboards, like the employee was like shocked at us. He was like, so you're not, you're not going to take lessons? And we're like, no, man, we've skied. We're, come on. I know what I'm, I'm, I'm the owner here. I know what I'm doing. He even told us about classes, free classes. He says, Look, in 30 minutes, if you just wait, they're gonna do free classes on snowboarding right out here. Ignore the messengers, right? Um, I had to look at the guy. I had to tell him straight up. I said, Hey, man, look, I'm 19. Guess what that means? That means I know everything and I can do everything. So why don't you just back it up? Here's what I didn't know how to snowboard. Here's what it cost me. Several days of real bad pain and soreness. Like I grew up playing football, basketball, baseball. I've been in hard practices and two days and all that. I will tell you, I've never been more sore in my life than the day I the first day that I and the only day really that I tried to snowboard. I'm 6'4", okay? If I start tilting one way or the other, there's a good chance I'm not bringing that back. Uh, I'm falling over and man I fell so many times that day and in so many painful ways I was done sore I hurt in places I didn't know you could hurt it cost me we did everything wrong and it cost us doesn't have to be that way for you I would tell you two last things today one if you're interested interested in snowboarding take lessons but two, if you're here, and man, there's some changes that need to be made in how you're running your vineyard, how you're doing life, And man, today's the day to do that. Today's the day to make those changes. Somebody said this in John 10, 10. Somebody said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who told you that? The son. The son of God told you that. I pray that today you listen and receive him and live your life for his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for each and every person here today. And God, I thank you for the privilege and honor just to open your word and and receive wisdom and look at what you have for us. And God, I pray you would forgive us for where we try to be the owner, where we try to seize control and power. God, it's all in your hands. And I pray that we would grow to trust You and honor You and live for You in every way possible. That our lives would be a reflection of You, our King, our God, our Lord. And Father, I pray that You would help us to be bold and courageous and make those changes. The things that need to be changed, God, help us to take that first step today. And Father, I pray You'd bring us to a place of freedom, and joy, and obedience as we seek to walk with you. Lord, we love you. here, us now as we sing to you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to MyRiverValley.Church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to MyRiverValley.Church for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.